Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's returning, and you'll remember that he's coached every level from school ball to national team programs. He's a member of the Jasper Volleyball Camps uh, alumni, which once we get into it, it's a who's who of coaches in Alberta. He's a two-time CCAA champion, and he's the current coach of Mount Royal University. Please welcome back to the show, Sean Skye. Sean, thanks for doing this again, man. Thanks for having me. So we left you off uh, last year. You guys had a, a big season. We're near the top of the standings. And as we're at the holiday break of this year, no coincidence you're at the top of the standings again with your Mount Royal squad. But uh, one thing I found fascinating about our previous chat is you're not a big, these are the pillars of the program. This is my binder. This is what the culture says. You, you do it every single year. So I'm wondering, how do you uh, return a bunch of teams, who, uh, a bunch of cats, excuse me, who had a, a successful year, add some new people, and then build the culture all over again? Like, where do you tend to start when you get a new squad at the start of the year? Sure. So, so I mean, it's it's not 100% just from the ground up because, I mean, you do, you do. I mean, your culture, you, you have that in mind in terms of here's what here's what our program is about. What what I do is is I always tell the guys that um, in essence the program is mine, the team is theirs, and and what we spend a lot of time doing is every team is different, every team is unique. Where we didn't have um, significant turnover in terms of um, numbers of guys, but but it still is significant. Like and, and you could bring the exact same team back the exact same guys, the exact same roster, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same at all because, for instance, your first years aren't first years anymore and your second years aren't second years. And and there's, uh, well, if anything else, it's, it's like a vicarious experience on, on, on the sports psych side of things and the imagery. When you're in your first year, you don't know what to experience or you don't, you don't know exactly what you're about to experience. And, but what you already start doing, even in that first year, is you start formulating how your second year is going to go and formulating maybe how your third year is going to go. You even start formulating, all right, well, when I'm in my fifth year, this is what it eventually is going to be like, even if there's just, just little grains of that. But you are spending a bunch of time already sitting back and going, okay, in my second year, all right, I'll remember this. And you take from those experiences. And, and no different, actually, probably one of the biggest transitions is when fourth years become fifth years. Because because now they're also facing the reality that this is going to be their last year, right? And and there's there's I, I think a lot of uh, fourth fifth years struggle with that concept of that transition from that fourth year to a degree is a bit of a free roll, whereas whereas in your fifth year all of a sudden there's there is some finality to it, right? And, and so, so that's also something we spent a bunch of time on is, is talking about that and addressing that, um, because that can be really daunting and that can definitely impact performance. So, so to bring it full circle, what we do is, is every single team, we have a conversation, um, about the team and about figuring out what the identity of that team is. And, and it's not just one conversation. It's, it's fairly continuous, especially in the first couple months of the season. Um, because it used to have like an early meeting in the first week and here's our goals and here's what we're about. Well, everyone's going to have to agree similar goals with actually not understanding or not knowing what the team's about. And, and even guys that have been in your program for three, four years, I mean, a, a great, two great examples would be Chris Byam and, and Jacob Van Giel, where um, they had, you know, um, they're both part of next gen national teams. 
and they're coming back and they're coming back for, you know, that this is their technically their fourth year of eligibility. They're graduating this year. So it is their fifth year. Well, they're bringing back those experiences and all those experiences are going to change them. Or, and, and also in, in Chris's case, Chris, Chris dealt with an injury, a significant injury throughout the summer as well. So, so even that as, you know, impacts, um, even though you're like, well, hey, like those guys, guys that are, you know, been there for four years and now they're just entering their fifth year, they've still changed, right? And, and we're still dealing with, in my opinion, we're still dealing with young developmental athletes across the board. Are, are they young men right now? For sure. But, you know, if, if we're talking about having a long volleyball career, they're still very young in their career. I mean, they, you know, if, if both have the opportunity to, to play pro yet next year, of course, they're going to be, be referred to as first years or rookies on a pro level, right? And so I always smile when somebody starts talking about, you know, how old they are when they're in university. Well, no, if you're like straight out of high school, then, then you're into like in your five years, like you're still 22, still young, or at least I, I, I like to hope it is. And uh, I may have glanced over this in your intro. If anyone missed the first episode we had you on, um, you do have a, an educator background. Uh, you do have a degree in sports psychology. So you're 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 not dabbling in this. You went full uh, head first into this. But uh, I am curious because to, to take it to the extreme, I know there's clubs here in Ontario that don't let them coach the same club team for more than two years in a row because it is hard to maybe pigeonhole or label an athlete and they do grow to that or their interest change or their talent changes. So when you look back at your development as a coach, what made you so hyper aware of this that you know that a first year mentally, emotional, physically isn't going to be the same as that same person in their third year, right? So how did you kind of draw attention to this or give value to it so you could pick up on these little things where, yeah, maybe I am a first year and I'm happy to be here, but now I'm a third year and I want to start and I want to compete and I want to maybe volleyball is my first occupation. Like I got big goals and you can't treat me the same, right? Well, there there is a big transition there, like how you deal with first and second years versus how you deal with with fourth and fifth years, right? And I mean, that's the second part of this. Um, part of it is definitely is my background, where where I mean, masters in sports psychology. So I want to always stress, I'm not a sports psychologist. Um, I, I I I could be, but it would take uh, the, the the clinical and certain clinical and the certain certification. Um, but, but again, I mean, as, as a university professor taught it for, for 14 years and then before that, uh, a high school educator. And so, so part of it is, is, is it just in the training in terms of uh, a master's in sports psych, but another big part of it is, is subjectively, if you've been an educator for, for well over 20 years, you start noticing things. And so before I came to Mount Walla, I was, I was uh, a high school teacher. And something I've always pondered, I mean, I've always been really big on studying people and love team building. And so I think those, those two things go hand in hand. And so, so probably the, the best analogy that I, do, I would hope that everybody can relate to is your grade 10 year in high school. There's actually a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of people probably describe their grade 10 year in high school as they're just trying to get through the year and they're just trying to avoid embarrassment. And, and then you all of a sudden two months pass over the summer and in through the door walks this far more confident grade 11 student. Right. And, and then, and then when it comes to grade 12, well, they're walking around and, and, and in, you could almost see them where they think like the, the school's probably going to implode when they leave because how could this, this school exist? 
you know, without them. And, and all that's transpired just in three years. And so, so what that is though is, is that's just a concept. Like, let's talk about a vicarious experience where even, even though they didn't know it, they're just trying to survive their grade 10 year. They're constantly putting up reps in terms of what their grade 11 year is going to be. Or they're putting up reps in terms of, well, in grade 12, this is what, what it's going to be like. And so when, when you see that, um, as an educator and you watch and you get to see and play a role in, in that high school student's development and you see that transformation to me, that's, that's an easy understanding too, where we're often what we'll do with, with some of our first years is that yeah, they're having a, a tough time or whatever else it might be. Sometimes our biggest goal is just to make sure we get them to their second year. And because, because let's, let's see what we actually have because they're moving away from home. They're, sometimes they're living away from home for the very first time. They have a ton of different challenges. I mean, high school and university are completely different things, right? I mean, like, I mean, there's studies that show that the correlation of your high school grades extended to university grades, there's actually, that isn't what the correlation is. Hey, I had a success in high school, so I'm going to have success in university. Actually, the strongest correlation is work ethic. So you think about somebody that just gets, you know, does really well with grades and it comes just easier natural to them. They're actually going to have a tough time in university, especially in, in more rigorous programs. So, so then you do, you look and go, okay, so this individual, this is all new to them, but they're still working hard. They're, you know, they're, yes, they're making mistakes, but let's get them to their second year. And then let's see what they're like in their second year. And then, and then even then they're starting to go, okay, well, this is what my third year is going to be like. And, and there's a big process there, but yeah, part of it is, is the education side of it. And the other part of it is, you know, honesty. Um, I've been, this is my 20th year at Mount Royal. So, so you have ample, ample experience in terms of both success and failure in terms of watching, watching people develop. And when you're, helping build the culture because as you mentioned the team is there so when you're taking reflection of the team's personality or, or trying to figure out individual goals like how are you building that trust to speak up because I, I see it even at my level i was joking with one of our first years i was like we have a induction camp coming up next year are you gonna actually speak in the meetings or are you just gonna sit there he's like oh you noticed like i didn't want to say a word i didn't want to speak up in front of like sam schachter or some of these other players where it, it is different when they they excel and go to that next step right so with you, how are you building trust so they can feel the need to speak up or maybe share an individual goal with you and not seem like it's selfish being like, I want to get a lot of volume and I want to be a spin server on this team. I want to be a point scorer. Like, how do you allow for that space so they can speak freely and talk about those things with you instead of, you know, I'm just going to do whatever the team needs me to do? Um, you have honest conversations. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but it's the more honest you can be and, and that's something we constantly strive for in the program even even when somebody doesn't really care for the answer or care for the question right asking just good honest questions and getting at that and, and then when somebody gives you what you perceive as as being you know an, an unauthentic answer then then probing more or if you really know somebody then calling them out on it but part of that too has got to be you've got to be honest with when you're when you're asked questions yourself Right, in terms of here's here's where things are at. The other part of it is is fully understanding that it has a lot more to do with with the quality of people around you. 
right? Where people are tentative to, to talk to the head coach, right? And anybody that thinks that, you know, like as soon as, um, sometimes the head coach is the last person to find out about something in their program, right? Or, and I don't, I don't care what the level is. You can listen to a team communicating and talking, hanging out. A head coach enters the room. All of a sudden, the tone, the communication, everything like that completely changes. I don't care if we're talking about 12-year-olds or if we're talking about 22-year-olds. That, that, that is a reality. So, so to me, a big part of that is having fantastic people throughout your program, right? Having credible assistant coaches, having, um, credible sports science team. And if you, I mean, I'm, and it's, it's going to sound like I'm, but I should be too, just because they're, they're phenomenal. But the sports science people we have at Mount Royal are just, are just fantastic. And, and then understanding that it, I don't have to be the one that gets the answers or anything else like that, or be the one that's probing for all the information. One of the biggest things I need to do is, is, is trust that there's constantly quality people around me that are having good conversations because you know what? I mean, if, if it resonates far more for one of our guys to, for instance, talk to Jack, Mendel, who's, who's, who's our strength coach, who's our sport training coach, that's great. Like if, be, if they're comfortable having that conversation and, and then, you know, and, and Jack does a phenomenal job of at no point, you know, compromising that trust, but potentially giving me a positive, negative heads up on, on certain things. That's huge. And, and, and making sure that that, that individual, you know, it's really comfortable to continue to have good quality conversations with Jack. That, that's the, really the strength of a program. Um, it'd be impossible for me to run around and try and solve and figure out everything out. And, and not like that, I mean, I wouldn't do a very good job of it because, because well, you have quality people throughout that program. But, uh, the, yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't care where, where that message comes from or, or who has that conversation. What I really care about is that the guys are comfortable confiding in people and having good quality conversations. And that, that has to get tested. And I'm wondering, how did you come to terms with this? Because uh, it's totally genuine what, what you're saying, but me as a person in my situation, as a head coach, I know I'm going to get a phone call from my boss and it's going to be, Nickel, how did this happen? And I have to know how it happened, why it happened, even if I wasn't involved, right? So with you, I mean, we've talked about like, the head coach can't even be the one collecting RPEs because the athlete doesn't want to tell coach it was an easy practice. Or with your background, you can't be the sports psych of your own team because you're the head coach and maybe they want to complain about you, right? So how are you gaining trust and knowing that everything's going to plan or that the buck is going to stop at you and you have to step in sometimes even though you are you weren't aware of the beginning, right? Sure. Uh, you know, well, first thing you need to understand is is, is you're not going to get it all right. There's there's no way to. So if, if, if you're looking about, you know, a thousand, um, sorry, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, mistakes are going to ha- happen. Things are going to get missed for sure. But to me, it's, it's, it's like anything else. It's like, okay, so we need to accept and we also need to accept for sure. I mean, I sometimes get asked, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time, like, what else do I do with my job? Like, you know, cause people will see me coaching, but what else do I do? And, and I smile and I go, well, a big part of any head coach's job at this level is, um, I have ample proof that, you know, for instance, cognitively and the human brain doesn't start stop developing until around 24, 25, because, because I sometimes see the decisions, you know, the odd individual makes and, and, and no different than when I was, you know, 17 to 23, some of the decisions I made. Right. And so a big part of that job is like between 17 to 23, 
like some of those decisions that, that you're making and and you're going, oh, that, that wasn't a good decision. And you understand that there's going to be some some big mistakes. No different than with me running the, the program. There's still going to be mistakes. But what we talk constantly about is it's not that. It's what are your actions after that mistake has occurred? Because that really speaks to this, this, the quality and the character of the individual. Um, and I say the same thing with the team and the program. Like mistakes are going to happen, but what are our actions and what are we going to do after that mistake is occurred? Because again, no, nobody's perfect and, and you're not going to bat a thousand. So, so what you're constantly looking at is yes, I mean, I've, I've got the luxury of, of, of having a wealth of experience to draw upon. And it's not often that something's thrown at me going, I've never dealt with anything close to this before. Um, so, you, so you do have that. You don't have the same newness, but but it is. It's also it's also don't think to me. It's it's identifying the people that you want in your program. And I mean, I don't, yes, we're talking about for sure the student athlete, but it's also the coaches. Where where I mean, our significant part of our coaching staff um, are alumni of our program. Or, or people that, for instance, I've I've known for you know approaching thirty years. Just to switch gears here a little bit from your team, this is fantastic the way you build trust and get to know the athlete. But uh, I'm going back and I'm rereading the Coach Your Brains Out book, and there was a an anecdote at the start that kind of reminded me of some of the conversations you and I have had, where uh, John Kessel's coaching a team, and a dad comes up to him after, and he goes, "Hey, I just wanted to point out that." Uh, this looks like a volleyball practice. I would have done a kid and that was 20 years ago. And John kind of brushed it off. You're like, Oh, you know, when you find a way, you find a way. And the guy goes, no, this is a problem. If you did that in my profession, I'd be sued for malpractice. Like you got to continue like looking at your methods, refreshing, like challenging ideas. So uh, why I wanted to bring that up with you is I'm just curious when you look back at your coaching career from coaching school ball to being involved at the highest level of our sport in Canada, what what are some things that you look back and be like, wow, I, I can't believe I used to do it this way, or I'm glad I got turned on to this level of thinking or this level of motor learning. Like, is there anything that you look back and be like, yeah, that was important to learn that, but I won't do that again. Oh, sure. I mean, um, all the time is, 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 is the reality with everything, but for sure, how you communicate with athletes, how, how, you know, uh, prime, prime example is, is, is how we deal with, uh, just practice intensity is the wrong word. How, how we deal with error management where, or if we talk about like, you know, when I first started at Mount Royal. Like, like, yeah, the, I mean, the, the word punishment would probably be, be a very common thing, but that wasn't just at Mount Royal. That was, that was 20 years ago in terms of coaching. And at the same time, how, how I was coaching, I was, I was blessed to have a phenomenal college coach in, in Ron Thompson, who I, I think is, to, to this day, still the most technical coach that, that I've ever met in terms of understanding the game and whatnot. Um, he was fierce in terms of intensity. Right. And, and, and I, I say that now affectionately, right? but I mean, it, it was, there were some really tough practices, but there's no way that I could have, even if, even when I started at Mount Royal, coached the guys the same way or come to the event that I was coached. And there's no different in terms of, and I'm, I'm not saying that, oh, for a second, I don't like anything, oh, like me, because the guys are soft or anything else. Like, no, it's just, you know, if anything, they're probably smarter. They, they ask, they ask better questions. They, they look at certain things and go, well, well, why would I do that? You know, and, and, and so if, if anything, 
I think you explain, spend a lot of time and I focus a lot of time now on coaching as much the why as, 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 as say the how, whereas, and that's probably something that's definitely changed in the last 20 years where you used to just say, this is how we're doing something. And then we would get at it, but, but there's, they're so inquisitive now. Plus there's also, I mean, amount of volleyball that, that some of them are consuming online and the questions they have and the quality questions. And, well, I, I saw this, you know, with this pro team or whatever else it might be, or, I, I, you know, I'm watching, for instance, Eric Lepke do this. What do you think about that? And, and so, so you, you constantly have to be working at it just to stay current, but then you also have to be constantly evolving and, and that no different than to me, volleyball is a subject. I sound weird, but it's a subject probably no different than math in terms of how you, how, how it's taught. And so then how you go about, for instance, as either a university professor or as a high school teacher. Well, yes. I mean, how that delivery has definitely changed. I mean, you know, in the world of math, but I, I, I doubt certain equations have changed, but how they're delivered certainly has changed. So, and I, I think the same thing is, is with volleyball. Like there's constantly, it's, you know, it's evolving. The one thing that you have to take into account um, that has really changed is, is just progressively how much more physical the guys are. And, and I mean, that's, that's the thing that's just, just constantly there. Um, it's just how physical, both in size and capability. When I say guys, I mean men, women, in both cases. Um, it's it's impressive. We, we have three guys on our roster right now that touch over 12 feet. That's that's ridiculous. You know, like, I mean, 10 years ago, you wouldn't even have that conversation uh, at a university level. You know, um, it's changing. It's changing the game, but also the, the bigger thing is, is how they think and questions they ask is changing. One thing I love about your program, is, and you mentioned Chris and Jacob and how they will go to a next-gen program and come back where you'll bring in internationals, you'll bring in college transfers. So how do you balance maybe some, some principles that you believe in technically and tactically, but then say, you know what, we've never had a guy who could do these skills or we've never had so many 12 touchers on your team. Like, are you kind of speaking to your assistants or cold calling other coaches and saying like, you know what, maybe we should try this because uh, I'm remembering now as I'm asking this question, you ran like a one middle system at one point in your career, right? At a high school level. So you're not afraid of the creative solution. I'm just wondering how often do you revisit that? And just based on your, your team's personality and personnel. So what I try and do every single year is you spend a ton of time. We're, I guess we're currently in like, you know, the 23, 24 season, but but I'm doing a ton of work, even building our team for 24-25. And so you're trying to conceptualize what 24-25 is. And even on Sunday, we had a, you know, um, I was having a discussion about, about you know, what our 24-25 team is going to look like, 25-26, 26-27, trying to project out that far um, in terms of that. So so you, you're doing those projections. You're You're trying to figure that out. And then one of the biggest things you need to do is, is, is right before you start the season, you have to work really hard to unbias yourself because here's, here's what I'm, I'd be hoping we are, or here's what had the design of this team. Here's what the design was, but you need to unbias yourself in terms of here's what the reality is. And that can be both 
good and bad, where it's just like you might conceptualize, well, I really hope we're capable of doing this. And, and you might not be something you maybe were hope, was hoping was a strength, might might be something, well, no, that's actually something we've got to spend a bunch of time addressing. Or, or what you love to see is, is there certain guys that take huge steps forward, right? And that's always, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested. I'm always excited for the first couple of weeks to one, see, you know, let's actually see what we have. Then also, I'm really, a little different than we just talked about, I'm really excited to see where the second years are at. Because, because if we're, we're truly buying into like, hey, we're going to load them up with a ton of information in their first year, and they're probably going to be a little bit overwhelmed at times. Now let's see how they've digested it. And, and when they spent, you know, their first, uh, people call it the off season, we call it our phase two training, how they've spent that phase two conceptualizing how their year is going to be. And, 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 and you bring it forward. So you're, you're unbiased, you know, you're really trying hard to unbias yourself to, okay, so, so now this is what we actually have. And that for me is, is like a secondary starting point of, okay, now let's get to work in terms of what this is. And then, of course, even in the course of the season, you're going to have some injuries. You're going to have some changes. I've never, I've, I've always, I, I think a development far more like an uneven staircase, linear progression. Great. If it, maybe if it's charted over a year, if it's charted over three years, you can talk about that. You can talk about a learning curve. I actually prefer the analogy of an uneven staircase, where you might have to walk down a hallway for a while, or you might have to take a couple steps down to take a few steps up. But, but it's how guys progress. And, and sometimes, sometimes with that too, is that there's some regression depending on what else is going on in their life, depending on where their academic load is, everything else like that. So, so you might even have a couple of guys, unfortunately, taking small steps back at certain times and somebody else is accelerating forward. And so, so that, that might facilitate, you know, structural changes and certainly facilitates lineup changes. Um, but that, that to me is the fun part of it. We're, we're currently in a situation where we can, with, with this, this current team, we have two young setters, Samson Olson and Grant Hill, that are working fiercely hard to get better. They're, they're, they're still both young setters, right? I mean, neither one of them started a, a counter West match before this year. They're also both vastly different, right? Not just in terms of their setting style, in terms of how they think. Turns their physicality was where Samson is is six foot and and Grant is is I call it probably a, a big six four or, or maybe even six five, um, but they both like we can actually radically change our lineup just by making that one sub, even though everybody else is out there. And so that that's some of the stuff you look at every, with every single team is is yeah like I mean hey here's here was the design but now here's the reality and what are you going to do with it and how are you going to improve it. And do you do you have a process or any tips for coaches? Because I think coach bias is, is fascinating. We all have it. But you, it sounds like you're constantly seeing what what can the athlete currently do? What are we good at developing? And do we have the time and resources to do it? So how how are you kind of progressing, not like fantasizing too far or even putting the athlete in a little bit of a box? It can definitely be challenging. You're right. Like you do have to unbiased, right? And and you need to be open in terms of here. What are you seeing? What do you think? Right with it, you have to talk to especially veterans on your team in terms of of, of the, their thoughts and things, and tell them that hey, like you, you don't get to decide this, but I'd love and I'd appreciate your input. Which is, is you know, when we talked about earlier, like one of the big differences, first and second years, they're trying to get a lay of the land, they're trying 
you know, learn how to be a university student, your fourth and fifth years are also seeing a lot more. And they're seeing, you know, who's who's really bought in to to what's being done, right? In terms of who's actually putting the extra time in in the weight room, all of those little things. And and so it, it definitely is it's a collective that way. But but one of the biggest things like like you need to talk to people on your team because if you're just playing around with it all in your own head, um you're you're really limiting that team's capability. But then the other thing that I, I'd say is, is also if, 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 for instance, you're a club coach, I've been there before, where you really are largely just, just it's you and the guys. And what what I what I'll still do, but what I did a ton as a club coach, and it's probably where I came up with some of the lineups I did, is I would just constantly look at and write out multiple lineups, multiple serve receives, really try and just just have some fun because I, mean, I, I think one of the things that uh, no, I mean, I, I love the NBA, I love the NFL, and I think two of the, the appeals of those are just how different we can run offenses and defenses amongst that. And sometimes in volleyball, we have we have some limitations, right? And and we do get boxed in. And so I, I always love when I see something unique and somebody trying something different. Um, and then also looking just at your own team and going, you don't want to be different just to be different. Like if you're going to change something up, it has to be because, well, this, this fits – the identity and the personality of this current team. And, and the last time we spoke, um, we were talking about the, the difference between the CCAA uh, when you guys were competing there and now where you, you would take a Jay Blankenau or Mike Hawkins and you were getting them university ready, where now with you competing in youth sports in the state of your program, it looks like you're bringing college transfers in. So what do you look for for somebody who's a little bit older in their career? Obviously, they're not going to join you as a true first year, but they are going to be new to your program. Like when you are looking for a college transfer who can help you right away, like what are some things that stand out or what are some conversations you like to have with that athlete to make sure they're a fit? My, my hope is is that uh, we have more of a return to to uh, where the CCAA, ACAC, Pac West across the country was, where, where I, I would far prefer to see Far more high school players choosing to go play CCAA first. I, I think there's huge terms in development, especially one of the things that I find really frustrating is is when we see a lot of guys that that aren't dressed on the weekend and that could be playing somewhere, right? And because again, that's that's reps. And it's not just reps in terms of hey, how many practice reps, but it's like literally days of practice. So so what we're, we'll we'll actually you know, look at them um, the exact same way and the exact same evaluation as we will any of the guys in the club. But, but yeah, there is definitely a different lens in terms of your constant. You're still looking in terms of how we think this person fits. Um, if anything, you're allowed to, you're, you're not allowed, you're able to go more in depth. Um, there's some tremendous coaches throughout the CCAA. So, you, you, you know, we have, and it's probably, I, I talked to a ton of, of college coaches and and connect with them just just to see um where things are at what they think it's it's also you know you can you can reach out to certain coaches and go like hey like you know who's who's the first person you game plan for and and within a league all of a sudden if you talk to three four coaches and they're constantly game planning for this one player then that's something you spend a bunch more time having a look at going okay so what is it about this guy right and and then you definitely draw on those coaches because they know, like they're, you know, we, we were we were very proud. You know, I'm, I'm still very proud of, of our time in the ACAC and CCAA. 
It's, there's a ton of work in there. There's a t- there's the same recruiting. There's there's all the things that you're dealing with um, at a youth sport or cannabis level is happening in the CCAA. And and so to me, I, I think it's it's actually currently an under, underutilized resource for sure. And so you still you still do you still find, try and figure out hey what kind of a fit would this person be? Hundred um, percent. What you have to take into account too is transferability, because to me, real success is the fact that that individual, when they're finished their years of eligibility, they're they're finished their degree, so they're exiting um, both as a as like as a true student athlete. They're graduating from both programs at the same time, so that's something you have to take into account as well. Um, and, and and yeah, I mean, at the same time, you you bring them in for visits, and here's where. I think a big part of this is is using your team, and I'll talk to any recruit that comes in, whether they're uh, high school club, they have the opportunity international, but for, for sure um, a CCAA transfer. I want to make sure they have a number of interactions and conversations with the guys on our team, and I'll tell them that, uh, that this, you know, we're constantly looking for a right fit, but it's a two-way right fit. This needs to be the right situation, right program for them. But equally as important, I'll ask our guys, do you want to spend the next three years with this guy if it's a CCAA transfer? Or if it's if it's something high school club, is this somebody that you want to spend five years with? You know, um, that matters. That that social interaction, that aspect of it, that you know, not just playing, but just that person's, you know, a, a terrific player. Okay, well, what are they like as a person? Do you want to spend that time with them? And, and most of the time, the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is, is a fairly short no for, for whatever reason. You start doing a deep dive in terms of why that is. And, and sometimes if there's just not the right fit, there's just not the right fit. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Samson earlier because I think that's an interesting story where there might be coaches in new sports who read an email from a six foot setter from Norway and said, I'm not even going to watch this video because they, they don't fit the model of what we think a setter is where you obviously took a first look and a second look and then obviously landed the young man. So what stood out to you when you look at international athletes, because you are trusting a lot to tape, like would someone like Samson even do a visit before they committed? No, Sam, Samson didn't. And I mean, and here's where Samson needs more credit than, 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 than I, sh- I should get for sure. Where Samson, Samson was tenacious and it wasn't, a, you know, a first look, a second look. You know, there was a third, fourth, fifth look involved there too, because, you know, and I was, I was also so honest with Samson going, you know, whether you wanted to hear it or not is, you know, we'd be at a six, five middle, be it a, a six, sorry, sorry, a six, five set or a six, nine middle. Often that, that guy's physicality, they actually have to prove that they don't belong. Or somebody that, you know, you can construe as undersized has to constantly prove that they belong. So, so yeah, we, we did a lot of, um, you know, had a lot of talks. You know, Samson didn't come for a visit, but Samson being, um, Samson also is, is a dual citizen. So his, his dad um, was born in Edmonton, right? So, so Samson actually is, is a Canadian citizen, but born and raised in Norway. So actually, actually in terms of, international rules he's not international he's a canadian citizen so samson had been like you know and to edmonton and, and, and calgary and whatnot so he was he was aware of it for sure and there was coaches that were aware of him um but the biggest the big thing that really actually sold us on on samson was we were able to see some footage of him playing um with the club and you know, with his club and then also with uh, the norwegian national team 
And and we also knew that there was a chance that, yeah, we were potentially going to have um, an older group in terms of outside and middle attackers with some young setters. And one of the things that, that we, we loved about Samson was here here was this uh, this young man um, playing on his club and playing on the national team with a bunch of men and and handling and conducting himself. And, and the other thing, too, is, is, is the, the real credit is, is in Samson's tenacity. What I love about him, too, is, is you want to talk with somebody that gets right to the point in terms of asking quality questions and just, just full-on honest questions. And so, so yeah, he just he left a, a fantastic impression upon us. And so, so, and then we were fortunate enough that he, he chose Mount Royal. I want to go back to one of your earlier points there about um, CCAA and U Sports maybe working together so we don't have good players kind of healthy scratch or red shirting or not sitting where. Uh, I just scrolled down your roster. You guys keep it pretty tight where I'm looking around the OUA and I think everybody's rolling like 20 deep, if not close to maybe plus or minus two there where. It doesn't look like you're keeping that many bodies in the gym. So why is that a value of your program where if you're going to take somebody, you're going to make sure that they get reps or they get an opportunity where yeah, you're not carrying 24 guys this year, right? No, never, never have. I think, the biggest, I think the biggest team we've ever had at Mount Royal is 17. And, and it's a couple things. It's, it's a case where I constantly put myself in a situation where if I'm that individual, what would I want? And, and I think, and, and then of course my, my background, you know, in terms of, of the impact that has on motivation, the impact that has on decision making. And, and, and I, I, I can't speak to anybody that has, has a bigger roster. What I do hope with anybody that has a bigger roster is there's some real honest conversations that have taken place in terms of what that, what that situation is. And, you know, I don't even mean if the student athlete and the coach are walking in the same situation where they've had this discussion of this is our roster and this is how we operate. And the student athlete is, is down with that. And that's the choice they've made. I, I far prefer to have a smaller roster for, for a number of different reasons. I actually think it, it allows for a lot more versatility. When, you, when you're talking about like being able to explore lineups and whatnot, you also, you also have to know what you like as a coach. And, and I actually would prefer, far prefer to explore, or we're maybe short a little bit here, or like, you know, and explore how we, you know, handle making up uh, deficiencies in, in our roster, in our lineup. But we're constantly looking for versatile athletes. That's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm far more interested in somebody that, you know, is a great athlete that plays volleyball than somebody that just plays a specific position. And so, so no, so we do that. The other thing too is just, just from a mathematical standpoint, uh, we can maximize somebody's reps. We can get them more reps. That's also another way of facilitating their development. Well, if you think about it from, from an NEP standpoint, well, you know, what, what, what is Volvo Canada, Dan Lewis, NEP doing? Well, they're getting their, those, those individuals significantly more reps, or at least that's the goal, is to get them significantly more reps. Roster size can, can do that as well. I mean, especially if, say, say Austin, if you have 22, you have 22 uh, individuals on a court, and if you were assuming, you know, two hours, two courts, 22 individuals, and say we currently have 15, 16, mathematically, we're going to get, you know, those individuals are going to get more reps. Now, do you ever feel more pressure to get it right in recruiting there because you don't have that buffer of one or two guys where maybe 
if one guy after first year figures out he doesn't want to do the work or he's got other interests and he leaves the program, that doesn't leave you with a, a bit of a gap that you have to fill maybe three or four years faster than you, you thought on paper. 100% there's, there's far more risk, far more risk. Um, but in my opinion, I think the head coach that, that doesn't have, you know, that has infinite years technically of eligibility or, you know, where we're not confined by years of eligibility. I think that's the individual that should be taking the risk. And, you know, and, and I, I would say that the larger a roster gets, the, the more risk um, the fir- incoming first years are actually accepting. And, and I mean, that's that's also, you know, each everybody's going to have their own philosophy in terms of how to do it, but that, that's mine. But I think the head coach should actually be the one that assumes the most risk. And because you do keep a, a smaller roster and you, you obviously trust your assistant coaches, does that allow you, like you mentioned you, your phases of playing and they, they go home in the off season and they have certain things they, they want to work on, or if they come back, they're maybe ahead of schedule. Do you follow that through that if, if somebody commits to you that you have like a four-year or five-year plan and, and maybe they can either be ahead or behind, but do you kind of have a, like an individual performance plan for each guy? Yeah, we, we won't go so intricate like the map of, hey, here's here's five years or anything else like that. But what we will have extensive talks in terms of because I think a real motivating factor is when every single person on your roster can see a clear path to, to a floor or a desired role or anything else like that, where, I mean, that, that especially, especially when we say the off-season, we call it phase two, whatever, whatever you want to call it, there can be substantial gain there. And all of a sudden, if I know that I'm working towards something and there's a plan in place for me, then there, there's a motivating factor because, you know what, when you, when you hit, you know, early, mid-August, there's, there's the challenge. That's also where, where student athletes can make some serious and substantial gain. Are they still, you know, getting to the gym and working out? And I'm not, I'm not as worried about are they getting a ton of reps. I'm, I'm, I'm actually more focused on, on them getting at um, our strength training program and really seriously getting at it where you, know, you can make those gains there. And, and part of that is, is, is you know, what a, there's a plan in place. They know what that plan is. And they also can see essentially the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what they're working at. That, that certainly helps us significantly with motivation, right? It's, it's no different than, than anything else. I mean, this goes all the way back to, to club, provincial team, whatever else it might be. Every single person on your roster, you should be able to identify what their role is. And, and, and you, there should be like, you know, a discussion about that role or whatever else it might be. And if you don't have a role for somebody, to me, wait your turn is not a role. Wait, wait your turn, in my opinion, is talent collection. It's not talent development. Right. And, and so what we'll do, um, in a number of cases is, is, is we'll, we'll say no to somebody. But more, more often than not, we're, we're sometimes saying not yet, or we're saying, hey, we can't guarantee you anything, but we actually think you should go to a, a good CCAA school, spend your first two years there, spend your time developing, and, and let's see where you're at in two years. Now, we also can't guarantee, you know, infinite roster spots, but what I'll also say is, like, if you don't like what your options are, or if we don't have an opportunity for you there, there's so many good CCAA programs. Um, it is, it is different, I think, in Western Canada than Ontario because 
because um, the post-secondary systems are different. Whereas, for instance, in, I can speak obviously easiest to Alberta. You can take um, your first two years of, of a number of university programs out of college and then transfer. And, and I mean, and, and PacWest is, is the same way. Um, I can't speak as strongly to, to the Manitoba college systems, but for sure in Alberta and BC, you, if, if you're on top of things academically, you can take the first two years of your degree out of college, play in the CCAA, and then transfer to a Canada West school. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll actually get into having some of those discussions. And I already am with, with, with a few guys in terms of, Hey, like this could be a great school. This could be a great school. It's a really good coach that might, might fit with your needs. Um, but and it's, it's not a case of all of them are going to come back to Mount Royal. It's more so a case of, I want to see more people actually playing. Right. Um, wearing jeans on the weekend is, 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 is not best for somebody's development. And one challenge that, that comes with your philosophy is you play in the Canada West and I'm not going to name names, but there are OUA teams, there are RSEQ, there are CCAA teams where there are some lower level teams where you feel like you can get your twos in. I don't think there is a team and, and pessimists can say what they want, but I think everyone in the Can West is good where you can't just empty your bench and say, this is your Josh, you trained all, all semester for this. So you get to play this game. You just don't have that in the Canada West. So without that carrot of playing time, how do you keep them dialed in that my job is to go and get beat up on by Chris at practice every time? And that's what's best for my development. Like playing time is the ultimate uh, kind of prize for a lot of these athletes. So without you having the, I was going to say strength of schedule, but it's actually weakness of schedule in your conference. How, how do you find a way to keep them engaged if they really want to play? But I'd say this: every Canada West school is, is is facing that same challenge, and I, I, you know, I'll just repeat: I, I I honestly don't believe there's a bad team in Canada West. There's just there's just teams that have currently bad records, right? For for whatever reason. And so no, there are there are no nights off. And I mean, I, I've only coached in the ACAC, and then I coached in Canada West, so I can't speak for other conferences that way. Um, but every single kind of West school is, is, is facing that exact same challenge. So I'd say this, I mean, we, we actually have, you know, if our roster is 15 or 16, we actually have tremendous urgency to develop everybody on that roster because, because, you know, you're a couple injuries and if you're, you know, I mean, it's important. We, we have five minutes. Well, if we have one or two injuries in there, um, first year, like Cody Hudson has to be ready to play. And so, so they're, they're, they're constantly faced with that reality that they mean, and we, we talk all the time. Like if, if, if you're dressed that night, you're one play away from being on the floor and you have to be ready. I mean, and, and so some nights that happens, some nights it doesn't. And, and that to me is probably more so the that motivating factor. And especially when, when they see that reality of, especially, Hey, boom, like we, Ryan, John, for instance, we're, is having a, a great first year, had a great phase two. And so he's, he's been a couple of times, you know, boom, he's been right in there and, and has done well. And, and so, so all of a sudden there's, there's a, a first year that needs to step up and play in this situation and has done a great job. And so there's going to be more opportunities like that coming. But then as soon as you see that reality, even if that wasn't you going in, you see the reality that, that Ryan just did that. Well, then that resonates of, Hey, I, I need to be ready. And, and I, I think there's, there's value right there in terms of, 
when you do have sounds weird to say 16 is a small roster, but in in Canada Western in new sports terms it is, then then there's urgency across the board for everybody. Like our fifth years have urgency to to bring our first years along because they also re- realize that for us to be successful, those first years have to develop right quickly, right? And 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 even if it's just you know, and some of the most important stuff is is for instance Wednesdays in game play. Well. It's not all of a sudden that we don't have 22. We have, you know, we, we currently have 15 right now with, with the group we have. And, and so everybody's constantly involved in game play. And, and, and that first year's focus and that first year's performance will often dictate, you know, and, and it's, it, we, we talk about the floor and the ceiling. Your first years are current, are constantly establishing what that floor is. And the more focused and the more they improve, the more your floor goes up. So then the, the higher quality of game that you have in practice. So there's there's program urgency, in my opinion, to to bring them along. And when you have that many people invested in you, and when you have fourth and fifth years invested at that level in you, even if you're not getting, you know, in your first year that kind of gameplay, um, it does resonate because it, you know ultimately there's that many people talking to you, there's that many people that are invested in in your development. And for any school or club coach uh, listening who's who's really who's really buying into this philosophy, would you apply this to a school and club team? Like, would you take nine players because you want them all to play, but then you risk not doing game stitch in practice, or would you take twelve and then encourage the coach to experiment with? Uh, do you guys double sub? Do you have a serving sub? Do you have somebody who can go in in situations? Like, what are some things that? maybe youth coaches can get them because I love your ultimate goal is we want people playing. We want people competing. So how, how can we maybe apply this at, at some younger levels and not at the university level? Sure. So I'm going to give a conflicting answer because on one hand, I, I think the perfect number for say a, t- a club tournament to maximize everybody's gameplay is probably 10. And at the same time, I don't want any club coach out there all of a sudden cutting two, two more two more individuals, right? Where we're, no, we, we need more, you know, kids playing. I mean, um, my daughters are just starting to, to get into club. And so we were, we were at a club trial went on in, in Calgary, especially, especially on, on the women's side, on the girls' side. It was a U14 trial and there was 130 athletes there trying out for, for 48 spots. And I was just like, right away, like you're, you know, you just feel it in your heart kind of going, could we not just create teams for all of these kids because you'd want them all to play? So, so again, in, in, I do think if we're talking just purely, you know, to maximize development and performance, I think, I think 10 is, is, is a pretty good number, but, but please, please, please don't cut any kid to get to 10. Um, I also think this, I mean, I, I'm still, I'm old school. I, I love multi-sport athletes. I love having situations where where they're playing a number of sports. I, I don't. I never had a problem as a club coach where all of a sudden we had a guy that was missing practice because his high school basketball team had a game. I I want more of that. I mean, and and and, and the monetization of youth sport is making that tougher all the time to do, and the demands on it, and the keeping up with the Joneses where we have club teams that are practicing four or five times a week. I, I still would love to see, and I mean, one of the first questions I'll ask any anybody we're recruiting is what other sports they play, right? Because we actually love hearing about, you know, and, and we actually think that 
in terms of somebody's potential and what their ceiling is, it's it's higher when when we find out they play multiple sports. But even like for instance, if we're talking like a smaller club, then you know, and I've, I've coached sort of in both in both scenarios. Obviously, it was a number of years ago. But you know, if, if you only have ten, then you run with ten. Okay, well, if you can get to twelve, so long as everybody knows what their role is, then you get to twelve. Some of your bigger clubs, um, you know, here in Calgary, if you go way back in the day, and actually would be a good laugh because this is this is the club team that Rob David was was playing on. Um, it was way back when I think he was 15 years old. And so it was in, we, I was coaching with NEBC and we were doing a U16 team and there was three U16 teams. And, and I still, I was even having a conversation about this yesterday. Well, now how do you, you know, set up those, those three U16 teams? And I think more often than not, what will happen is, is that top team will take the top 12. And I actually have a problem with that because as soon as you've taken the top 12 athletes, you're actually stifling the development of, of let's say that eight through 12, right? Instead, if you've, if you've got a club where you're fortunate enough, for instance, to have three teams, what I'd love to see is I'd love to see an identification process where, okay, let's identify, for instance, who those, those top, say, 48 athletes are. Well, then on, on, on your top club team, I think you should have the, you know, okay, so let's have our top eight athletes on that team. And then on your second team, put your next six. So right away, you've actually, and, and, and for sure, like, hey, your, your best two setters, have them on different teams because it's it's huge, especially for a setter, for the, their decision making. They need to play, right? They, they, they need to play. They need to experience that. But they're also going to, accelerate the development of everybody else in that team, especially if, if you're fortunate enough to have two really good setters versus versus all of a sudden they're them both being on the same team. Yes, you're going to have to assume some risk because you have to hope that everybody stays healthy. Right? But again, I've, I've already said the head coach should be the one assuming the risk, not, not the kid, right? And then, so you've got your top eight, your first team, your next six on your second team. Then you fill up your first team. With other guys that are project, they've got potential, but they're not, you know, they're not there. I mean, they're, they're very physical, but, but they're not there. And so they're raw. You're going to be able to develop that. That's actually going to help your upside of that team. Or you fill it up with, with specific role players of guys that could fill specific roles for, for that squad. Then you fill out the rest of your second team. And then, and then the, the other athletes, um, compose your third team. And in my opinion, that, what you're doing, especially if we're talking U16, now you actually have your, your the best athletes. And, and, and again, the best athletes right now versus the best athletes two to three years from now is going to be very different, in all honesty. Um, but, but that's what I, I mean, that's what we did 25 years ago in club. And, and I mean, it, I, I thought it worked then, and I think we still work now. But I do think we get caught up too much in, let's just make sure that the best athletes are all are the best players are all on the same team. Um, but they're not all developing. Yeah. As you're explaining this, you're, you're preaching to the choir and there was a club here in Ontario that, that got a three court facility and they, they tried the same thing. Uh, and, and an unintended consequence of that was the parents blew it up and they said, no, we want a teams. We want B teams. So they went to the, the club, the next community over and blew up what I thought was a fantastic plan for, 
not only high performance, but it's also youth sports. So inclusion, let's get as many kids playing volleyball as we can. They're all going to get good coaching. Like it, on paper, it sounds amazing, but it, it's just funny. Like you said, the, the business of youth sport and kind of what the, the parent or guardian wants can also just throw a wrench in things at any time. Right. It's challenging. I mean, and because you want to constantly do what's best for your kid. Right. And, 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 and nobody ever wants to be that parent. And I, and I can say that now, I mean, you know, in terms of term, ter- terms of kids playing, like my own kids playing. Right. Um, but and it, it is challenging because you want them to be successful. You want them to have that great experience, but then there also comes back to, you need to trust. And that's where anytime, um, you know, you should spend a bunch of time reading up on what that club's philosophy is, not just trying, Hey, we're going to try out for this team because they're really good. The bigger question that parents should be doing is, is, is fine. Okay. What's their philosophy? What are they about? Do we agree with that? And, and, and then when you agree to, to, You'll join that club or be a part of that club. You need to understand that you're buying into that club philosophy. It's like anything else. It's, it should be a buyer beware. Any clubs should also be able to start talking about what their philosophy is. I mean, and, 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 and be able to, to share that vision in terms of what they're about. Well, man, this, this has been awesome. I'm so glad you came on the show. And uh, I know we joked around in the first episode that uh, you can read a book about Phil Jackson or, or all these people, Steve Kerr, but they don't really tell you how to coach. But I feel like if they listen to this podcast, they can definitely steal some of your ideas and and kind of develop their own philosophy. Because I, I felt like you've shared a lot in the first episode. You shared even more here. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and just seeing behind the curtain of everything you've accomplished. So thanks again for taking the time. And uh, we're we're all better coaches now because you're sharing this. So thank you so much. No problem.